Welcome to the Unregulated Podcast by City AM. I'm Emma Hazlitt. This week, Will Butler Adams, the man who revolutionised commuting by bike. This e-bike, if we get that right, if we innovate it, if we, if we come up with a cool product, um, we could be twice the size in three years' time. The problem with investment is mostly it is people wanting to make money. Welcome to Unregulated, City AM's professional development podcast. We discuss entrepreneurial stories, how to be better at your job and how to take the next steps in your career. We're lucky enough to be recording at the pod studio at White City Place, which we were invited to by the lovely people at Huffletree, the digital lifestyle co-working space. Now, if you haven't heard of our guest this week, you'll definitely know his product. Boris Johnson and Alan Yentov have both been spotted wobbling about on them. Will Self has dubbed them a means of achieving deeper harmony. You almost definitely have a colleague who spends a lot of time waxing lyrical about them. Yes, it's Will Butler-Adams, the chief executive of Brompton Bicycles. They all spend 20 grand on a car and the thing rusts on the street and, and means that people have to then spend money to go on a gym, to pedal a bicycle, to go nowhere. Will, you didn't technically start Brompton. Tell us how you got involved in the company. So I am so not the man behind it. The man behind it and the inspiration is a chap called Andrew Ritchie. Um, complete legend, mega inventor, and man who spent 13 years getting the thing off the ground in classic. Nobody believes him. Um, everybody dissed him, but he's stuck at it. Then when he'd done all the hard work, that was in 75, he got started. 88, he, he got going. And then I sort of just, when they were finishing all the difficult stuff, I happened to meet his best friend from uni on a bus and uh, thought I was going to France to do an MBA and ended up doing a diversion and got involved with a bike company. So uh, mine's been the easy bit. So, I mean, Brompton wasn't the, the first folding bike, was it? No, no, they, they, uh, they had, they had um, folding bikes in, I think, I think... It, in, uh, I was going to say Crimean War, but no, not the Crimean War. But certainly in um, First and Second World War, they had folding bikes, quite big, heavy things, and um, probably lethal if they landed on someone's head because paratroopers use them. So Andrew's cleverness was the compactness of the bike, and he came up with some quite clever concept of wrapping the dirty bits around the wheels mm-hmm. and flipping the back wheel under. Um, and it's resulted in something that's f- sort of sufficiently useful that lots of people... I've got behind it and, and now use it. Um, entrepreneurs are, as a rule, not always the easiest people to work with. What was it like taking over a business from somebody who'd run it for 13 years? Well, I would say Andrew's a more of a an inventor. I mean, there's an entrepreneurial bit in there as well, but actually he's he is a classic inventor. That's and even that, worse, surely. That was difficult because... I should say at this juncture, some of my best friends are entrepreneurs. Are so. they? Yeah, 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 yeah. The entrepreneur bit, I can live with. But the, I mean, Andrew was so completely obsessed by it. Yeah. And if he hadn't been completely obsessed by it, we wouldn't have got it. Because you needed to be unbelievably obsessed with detail to make this thing work. Because it's quite tricky. Has it got, it's got over a thousand parts. Lots of parts, most of which are developed by us and are unique to us. So there's lots of design and thinking. Um and whereas now there are 260 of us, when Andrew developed it, it was just him. So he was a mega brain. And, um, but the problem with somebody that's so involved in their product is that 
You know, they absolutely know that they're right and that pretty much everybody else is wrong. So when you come into that environment, certainly in the early days, it was challenging and it still is even now challenging. I mean, and in some respects, that challenge is a good thing. And the fact that Andrew's given up his business, that's one of the biggest killers for businesses. The founder, inventor can't let go and there's trouble with succession. And it has not been easy. It's been hard for Andrew letting go, but he's pretty, pretty awesome. He still gets frustrated by what I do. But I think if he looks back over the sort of 15 years that I've tried to contribute, we, we've come on and more people are enjoying his invention. So that can't be a bad thing. What would your advice be to people who are kind of trying to take over from founders? Founder whispering advice. Um, you have to nibble your tongue, you know. I mean, you have to really bite your tongue. You have to not get too um, personally. You've got to be quite modest and not be too obsessed by yourself. And I had lots of friends who told me that, you know, when I should have been going off and doing sort of big careery stuff and I was fiddling around with bikes, you know, what are you doing? You you had this great career and now you're farting around with these bikes and, (laughs) you know, and but then you look back over 10 years and they go, wow, haven't you done well? But, you know, such surprise. Yeah, there is exactly. (laughs) And uh, but in the early days, it was small growth because we were so small, but 15 percent growth over 15 years and then you look back and think hey that's pretty good <laughs> but in the early years it was um you know that all my friends were going off and doing far better than me in terms of what they were earning and all this other stuff and I was fiddling around with bikes but I think patience modesty um but you do need to be you need you do need to be determined because most founders are pretty determined not to let you have it so if you're not determined to bloody well get a hold of it and wrestle it off it'll never happen so did you take the kind of angry give me what i want toddler approach or did you take the coaxing coaxing it was uh there were some bits that were quite um i had a very clear plan but i had to be patient in its execution if that makes sense Mm -hmm. okay so you know since you've become involved Brompton has become a cult. It's become like everybody that I know that cycles Brompton is kind of evangelical about it. It's insane. How did you create this kind of obsessive, I don't know, cultishness about it? Well, really, I didn't do that bit. Um, (laughs) But most of the stuff we buy is overhyped crap. So we are perpetually bombarded with stuff. You know, magazines, suddenly look you're going to look pretty, suddenly you're going to have loads of friends, suddenly your children are going to be well-behaved, suddenly your life is going to be lying on the beach. And, you know, we're just bombarded with all this stuff that's going to make us amazing. And guess what? You buy all this crap, and most of it's rubbish. And it doesn't make you amazing. It doesn't, you know, and it doesn't deliver all the stuff it said it was going to deliver. And it's generally over-promised and pretty disappointing. The one thing we've been quite successful in is being quite modest about this bike it is not going to suddenly mean that you know your boyfriend is super fit and has got a six-pack or your children <laughs> are incredibly well behaved or all this other stuff but it's pretty useful if you live in a city most of us spend far too much time um, not outside under the ground with a bunch of other grumpy people you can get to know your city you can whiz around it gives you a sense of freedom you can dump stuff out of your brain and guess what it, it, it makes you feel good and that makes the customer happy and they're evangelical because the flipping product works, which is rare. You've always had one bike, mm-hmm. right? But you've, you've kind of very slowly innovated and, and evolved it. Mm-hmm. How do you decide what new things need to happen? 
So we recently moved factories. So we were in Brentford mm-hmm. and we moved to Greenford, about four miles round uh, London. Which is like a big thing for Brompton, right? Big thing, big cost, big risk. Um, but also the opportunity there was for us to move production to China or for us to move production to Birmingham or somewhere, you know, in inverted commas, more sensible. Well, we were never going to move outside the UK because we're sort of quite British and like that stuff. But we could easily have moved to somewhere a hell of a lot cheaper to make the bike than London. You know, JCB are up in the sort of Midlands and most manufacturers are sort of in an industrial estate somewhere out in the sticks. We could have done that. In fact, somebody would have even paid us to do that. But then we'd have been making this bike for which we had no use at all. So we'd have been making this bike on some massive industrial estate in the middle of nowhere where we got loads of grants to do it. But what do you need a Brompton to, you know, pedal across the hills in North Wales for? You don't. But so it's a long way of answering your question. One of the reasons it's half decent is because we, we use the thing. We, we all live and breathe and whiz around London and our brazers do and our assemblers, designers, everybody. And so... We have a real understanding. And then, of course, we've got half a million customers that are all evangelical and they've got brilliant ideas and they're telling us that you could improve this and here's one in the, they've sent a little prototype that they've made in the post to make it better and they post on Facebook and WeChat. And so there's just tons of incoming ideas floating around all the time. So it's your job to pick them. So the fact that we use it helps us you know, because there's still tons of things that aren't good enough. I mean, it's just there is there's no lack of making it better. It's just the time and testing to get it better. But we've got a whole, you know, probably about four or five years of ideas yet to come. Some of them are in incubation and oodles of stuff in the pipeline yet, yet still to come. It's kind of the opposite of car manufacturing, really, isn't it? Because the car manufacturers, they've got an SUV, they've got a nice little soft top, they've got a sensible sedan they've got a hatchback you guys have one bike true but then if you look at the absolute classics like vw golf you know that has been a vw golf for a long time and it was there in the 80s and you know and it's sort of it's still a golf or a porsche you know 911 it's still a porsche you know the real classics the really good well-designed products even a mini went through a bit of a quiet patch but you know so you know we are we're still quite small as a company, so we haven't finished what we've got getting it right. We could rush around and start bringing out loads of other stuff, but we've still got stuff to do with this that we know we want to get better and it's frustrating us. You know, one thing that I found quite interesting is that you, you guys don't do marketing, as you said. You rely on word of mouth. Um, you've also done, you know, all organic growth. Have you ever thought about taking investment? Is that something Brompton would ever do? So um, the problem with investment is mostly it is people wanting to make money. (laughs) And, uh, of course, we want to make money because if we didn't make money, we couldn't spend it on doing R&D and trying to make the thing better and recruiting new staff and everything. But that's not our end game. Our end game is we've made half a million bikes, we've got 100,000 in London, and it makes people happy. And I've probably got another, I don't know, if I'm lucky, 40 years while I'm still kicking around. If in 40 years we've made another 2 million people happier, that is a real achievement. And that is an aspiration. So, of course, we have to make profit to deliver that because if we don't make a good product that's good value, no one's going to buy it. But my belief is that, that investment broadly, not exclusively, but broadly is too short term and it's 
you know, you could make this business very quickly, very much more profitable by taking out the innovation and the risk and the long-term investment that we're doing, which makes the job fun. Um, and also it allows us to create innovative products like from the electric that we're going to talk about. But so if, if, if investment, you know, if Tesla knocked on our door and said, you know, we're going to suddenly invest and we're going to get hundreds of thousands of more people on bikes and really fire this up, then maybe. But broadly speaking, the people that knock on our door just want to make money. Okay. You heard it here first, everyone. Um, so, you know, and the natural progression from that is you, you guys export to 45 countries, am I right? Like that, yeah. Eight in 10 bikes that you make are sold abroad. Yeah. Um, so what does Brexit mean for Brompton? Is that causing a real nightmare for you? It's total tosh. Um, it is, of course, Brexit is important, but let me just put it this way. Um, one, no one has a tiddly skew whiff what's going on with Brexit. Two, we won't know for three years. Now, so there are two things. One, I'm not in control. Two, I don't know what it is. And three, it's not going to happen for three years. It's completely, not completely, but mostly irrelevant. You know, this e-bike, if we get that right, if we innovate it, if we if we come up with a cool product, um, we could be twice the size in three years' time. The pound is down like 15% since the Brexit yeah, vote. but... That's been happening for years. We've had the dollar jumping up, jumping down. I'm not in control. I have to deal with that. My job, that's why I have an accountant. He does FX. That's why he does forwards and we buy this. But I'm not in control of it. So therefore, I can manage it. Like, you know, we sell to Japan where we have to pay import duty, WTO. But South Korea, we have a free trade agreement, two of our biggest export markets. Do I flap about it? No, that's just the way it is. I just deal with it. The things that will change my business are stuff I'm in control of. Recruiting cool people, bringing on young talent, getting good apprentices. Where are you getting those people? Isn't it going to be harder? Um, These are the the complaints. We've got 60 million people in the UK. That's not bad. (laughs) People talk about, um, you know, net migration down to um, tens of thousands. Well, it's not at tens of thousands. It's about 100,000, a bit more. But it's net migration. So actually, there are 400,000 people leaving the UK every year. So actually the total number we have is for half a million people. I agree it's a risk. And I will say, and, and, and say if politicians ask me, that's the one bit that worries me. We've got to remain cosmopolitan. We've got to have cool brains coming in. We've got to have people from around the world to help us trade with around the world. But is that a big worry? No, that electric is a big worry. We've opened an office in Brooklyn. My team out there are a big worry. The office that with Phil and, and, and Martin in Hong Kong is important. You know, we brought back distribution in the Benelux. That's important. The things that we move factory cost two and a half million quid and we all worried about it and our profits went down the drain and we spent all our cash and we were flapping about it. Getting that right mattered. Brexit is so overrated that people (laughs) flap about it, stagnate, you know, blame the fact that they're not doing anything on something for which they have no idea and no control. So stop flapping about that and get on with stuff you can control and, you know, get moving. Okay. So your message is... That, is that clear enough? Yeah, I get Brexit, the vibe, but it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, the e-bike, which you launched at Ride London in August. Yeah. Uh, in July, sorry. Absolutely, um, end of. Tell us all about it. So... And I should say that we, we just had a go on it, and it was really exciting, especially for is. those of us who haven't cycled for a while. Well, exactly. This is going to get you back on a bike. This is, what, this is the aim of the game. So... Um, 
So we want to get more people riding bikes because it's such fun and it makes you happy and it makes you feel like a child again and it just gives you that lovely freedom and um, makes you smile. But so we want to use tech to find ways to engage with more people, to come up with cool products that make people want to use them. And we know that there are people who already use our bike um, but maybe wouldn't use it as much as they could because they're worrying about sweating and they're worried about, yeah, but it's fine going to work. But then during the day, if you look at the stats in London, there's like four and a half to five percent cycling in the morning, four and a half to five percent cycling in the evening. Um, but during the day, it just drops to half a percent. So but that's not the case in Berlin or Amsterdam or these other cities. So we want to try and find ways to say, well, hey, just keep using the bike, you know, and you can stop and start the lights. You can hit a hill and just cruise up it and you won't be sweating. So there's there's a whole army of people. And then there are another group of people who are just basically they lack confidence in themselves to get on a bike because they're worried about just their fitness, their ability to take on that hill and, you know, and when you get on an e-bike, it just gives you this wonderful feeling. You're doing the exercise, but that you can take on the world because you just hit a hill and up you zoom, but you're still pedaling along, so you're getting the benefit. Um, so I read an article from quite a while ago which said the electric bike should be out sometime in 2011. Well, you it's probably a while to develop. Hey, you, yeah, you could have written. Yeah, you could have. I mean, we have been. This has been hard work. Um, we. We were in, we thought we had a solution and we were working hard with a partner. In fact, we were working with a partner in Asia. Good guys, um, maybe a little bit exaggerating with the truth. And uh, so we thought, hey, hey, we've cracked it. And they were slightly not telling us the whole truth. Okay. And uh, turns out it, they just hadn't cracked it and it was impossible. They couldn't do it. And what uh, was it was the problem, though? If you're getting uh, technical, we had a problem with the epicyclic gear train in fact we have a stepped swept epicyclic gear train because it's a hub gear and because we have it we have quite a big gear ratio and we don't have much space um all the gears they tried melted and that's not really going to work and so that then meant we'd have to go to sintered gears but then you have to lubricate them and there's noise so basically it was a spiral into Actually, they can't fix it. So then we had to sort of withdraw, put our tail between our legs. And I rang up one of our, well, a friend of mine who was a big enthusiastic Brompton um, rider, a chap called Patrick Head, who used to run Williams F1. I said, Patrick, do you know anyone who's real techie brains in Europe that can help us? And he said, oh, well, you know, we have had um, electric motors in our F1 cars for a while, and we've now got this Williams Advanced Engineering. The next thing you know, I met up with those guys and... That was sort of, yeah, around 2012. And that's when we started discussing with Williams and we spent the last four years okay. starting from scratch, investing a shed load more money than we thought. And probably about two and a half years ago, we cracked that particular problem, took a lot of tech out of their, their F1 cars. And we've actually, well, we think we've cracked it, but it's been tough. So, you know, working with Williams must have been, it's kind of two great British companies working together. Was that quite exciting or did you feel a bit pressured? So, yeah, working with Williams from the engineering perspective was complete nerd fest. Um, And in the early stages of a project, you want to let everyone just go completely mad with their engineering techie 
there is no constraints, mad ideas. And then you have about six to nine months of that and you say, listen, guys, you know, we have to start actually creating something and deciding what's in and what's out. And, and then it starts getting narrower and narrower to a point then when you have to stop saying no more fiddling around because you let engineers, they'll, I mean, I am an engineer, they can just keep, you know, no, you're a little bit better here. And, and you pin it down and then you start working out how you make it and make it and make it. And, and so it's been pretty cool. But the funny thing is, when we spoke to Williams, it was like, guys, you know, we need to got a big problem and we want to get a motor in a bicycle. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, right. All right, mate. Yeah. Uh, we might be able to help you, you know. And uh, then like four and a half years in, they're like, oh, my God, it's a nightmare. You know, it's got to be so small, get wet, bash. It's got to last years. People smash it. No one told me about this. You know, so it's ended up being a bit harder than they first thought. So you were like, see? Yeah, Exactly. Um, but they have been loyal because what they thought they were taking on has proven to be more tricky, but they haven't shirked their duties. So they have been really quite a good partner and uh, are still helping us and we're still working. And there will be, you know, we've made 100, we've got another 300 and, and you know, and then we'll be making thousands. And, and the, the evolution never stops. You know, the more you get people using it, the more insight you have. So that, that relationship will continue. And so how much will one set back our listeners? So retail, 2,590 quid, you know, intake of breath. Um, But this is a serious piece of kit. This makes you happy. It becomes your transport tool. And if I said to anybody, oh, I just spent 2,590 quid on a new car, they'd go, ooh, that must be pretty rubbish. Um, (laughs) You know, people like they all spend 20 grand on a car and the thing rusts on the street and and means that people have to then spend money to go on a gym, to pedal a bicycle, to go nowhere. It's like, hold on, this is nuts. This thing is your transport tool. It makes you happy. It keeps you fit. And it's just immensely good value. So I want to move on to bike share schemes. Yeah, well. This summer two bike share schemes launched in London yes um, and then there's the Santander bikes so which two schemes O-bike and Mo-bike yeah OFO OFO MoFo yes yeah. yes oh yeah bring exactly. on in come the Chinese <laughs> exactly yeah how are we feeling about that well to be perfectly honest the more the flipping better I mean I did hear that our dear friends OFO who are behind O-bike they just raised a cool $700 million. <laughs> Holy moly. So um, if you haven't seen one yet, it's coming shortly to your street. Um, and at the end of the day, we've got to change how we live in cities. We've created these cities over the last 50 years, and unconsciously we're all living there. And we're living in tiny little boxes that are jolly expensive, and then everyone goes down a little hole, drinking their lattes and munching on very... Big, fat, sort of chocolatey shortbreads. I should say at this point that, that Will is brandishing some shortbread. Yeah. But I'm allowed to do that because I'm pedalling back to the factory. <laughs> but most people aren't. So that shortbread just goes on top of the other shortbread. So all of this is good. Uh, actually, you know, it's going to disrupt. Is it a long-term, really well-thought-through solution? I don't think it is. I think what we've created is probably a bit cooler. But in terms of sort of, you know, shaking it up, bring it on. Cool. Well, well, Butler Adams, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. My pleasure too.
Well, that's it for this week. Follow us on Twitter on at UnregulatedPod for updates. And, of course, send us some pictures of you wobbling about on your Bromptons as well. With thanks to Catch, who was producing this week, but who you'll hear from next week, and Huckle Tree and White City Place, this has been the Unregulated Podcast.